welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. And before starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. This is the first of two episodes this week where we will cover the recent news about DAOs with our guests. And later in the week, we'll dig deeper into an interview with our guests as well. Speaking of the guests, let's welcome our guests. We have Adam and Ed from Wonderverse. Uh, Adam, if you would like to go first, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself and what makes you an authority on DAOs. Yeah, thank you so much, Adam Miller, for having us on. Super excited to be here. Yeah, so I am one of the co-founders of Wonderverse, and we do Web3 project management tooling specifically for DAOs. So we've gotten to work with a lot of exciting projects over the last year. It's something that we're super passionate about, and I'm excited to explore more with you today. Awesome. Awesome having you here. And Ed. Cool. Uh, th thanks for having us. Uh, my name is Ed. Uh, I'm head of partnerships uh, over at Wonderverse. Um, I guess what makes us authorities uh, about DAOs is so far we've worked with over 300 uh, Web3 uh, projects. That includes DAOs, NFT projects, protocols, uh, etc. Um, with over about 20,000 contributors on the platform. Um, so we've had a lot of conversations with uh, whether it's operators and admins of DAOs or folks that are contributing to DAOs just to get a better sense of like what's going on. Um, and I think, yeah, uh, it's been a very interesting experience so far. That's awesome. Well, it's great having you guys on the show. I've also talked to about 300 DAOs, but usually about their legal issues. So with our powers combined, we can have a really broad set of perspectives to bring to the table here. With that said, let's dive into the Just Dow It News Report, where I will summarize this week's stories for our guests and the audience, and then we will all dive into discussing what makes these stories relevant for DAOs. The first story of the week is from VentureBeat, and the headline is, Pay Your DAOs, How DAOs Work and What They Represent. I want to share a couple of quotes from this article that I like. The first one is, there's no doubt that DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, are changing the way people work, organize, and participate in their communities. We would all agree that that is for sure true. Another thing they mentioned in this article that I would think everyone would also agree with who's in this space, but I want to see what Ed and Adam think, is the article says these groups, i.e. DAOs, may be a bit difficult for the average person to get involved in. So let me turn it right over to you guys and see uh, what's your reaction to those two quotes. The first one, I mean, that's something we feel strongly about, especially, you know, fair compensation. And for example, like on our platform, you could see how much work someone has done, what have they actually contributed? So I think like the movement towards that is super important. But the second one, and I don't know if this is a hot take, but I do think it is super hard to work with DAOs right now, just how they're currently formatted. Like for many DAOs to bridge from interest to actually being able to work with them is pretty far, like how it's run. Um, I think that is what in the next year we all have to undertake is how to make it as easy as possible. So. Not only can people who are tech savvy, but like long term, how is grandma getting involved in DAOs? That's the type of future we want to build where everyone can have a piece. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm thinking about a DAO that I'm a part of called DAO Planet, where we've had, I think like a thousand people have joined our Discord and they always come in by saying, hey, this sounds really cool. How can we help? And there's about four of us who actually contribute. <laughs> so either nobody likes us or there's a bit of a onboarding and engagement problem. Yeah, I, I, I think onboarding is like uh, so crucial uh, for, for the DAO space. I think in an environment where 
uh, people are making decisions autonomously and teams are distributed and there's really no one like telling you exactly what to do. Uh, it, it does require a little bit of, um, you know, self-motivation and initiative. Uh, but, but barring that, like it is difficult to, you know, sort of jump in from, let's say if you're used to like a web three, uh, sorry, web two environment to then just jump into this and like when nobody's in charge, like where do you start? Um, so I, I think there, there's a lot to be done in terms of like onboarding um, people right now. I think a lot of it is actually unscalable uh, because it's, you know, people running like weekly calls, people like doing one on one onboarding. Um, I think what we've seen is probably, you know, more um, more tools and, and processes to like actually help people onboard and get to get to know projects better. Um, I think operations is very important and process design. Process design is not a really sexy thing, like even even outside of Web three. But I think it's just like so crucial, and and that's why like it's one of the thing one of the things that we focus on with uh, Wonderverse. Yeah, I like that you brought up process design. I like to think also about organizational design, which is um, maybe even broader. A, a lot of people uh, come into the space of DAOs. I, I think feeling like. Not only should there be less top-down hierarchy and management, but there should be no structure, no process, do whatever you want. And uh, But I don't think that actually works. I think that most DAOs are learning that, at least for most use cases, if, if you want everyone to work towards a common goal, you do have to have some kind of structure and some kind of process. It's just that it needs to be perhaps more open, more values driven? I mean, what, what are the other things that you would say? What's the difference between a DAO and a traditional company if you are introducing process and design? What Ed was alluding to, I think a really big thing that has to happen, one is like mindset shift um, for a lot of people. So they come in expecting to have a manager to tell them exactly what to do. But a lot of these projects did come out and like you're saying, they have completely nothing. It's an open field. I feel like decentralized work doesn't mean disorganized. I actually think you have to take, it's a bigger oath to organized work and fair compensation. So we have to actually be more intentional. And a big thing we've seen is there's a big move to more core teams and DAOs. Uh, so like what you were saying, how you had four people who are actually contributing. Usually that does happen in a lot of projects where there, some people are just super dedicated and that's cool and that's important. But I think what makes DAOs different too is how do you get the people who come in and who are kind of more, you know, on vacation exploring, and they can just come in, maybe do a couple bounties, do a couple tasks. And that's important too, because right now, most people will maybe have, you know, four to seven jobs throughout their lifetime. Um, they didn't have a big variety. I think it, giving a system where people can go in and explore and contribute to, you know, hundreds of different projects throughout their lifetime makes for a much more interesting life uh, with a wider impact. Uh, so I think having a design for people would have a very structured core workflow, whether you're using sprints, agile, you know, just typical uh, methods. But you also have to have these elements where you have things that can be done in a decentralized way, like maybe social media management, blog management, um, a lot of engineering tasks, bug bounties, stuff like that. I think we need to have both something for the core team and for outside contributors that are important. Cool. Love it. All right. Let's turn to the next story for today. This one is from Coindesk, and the headline is CFTC pushes back against amicus briefs in Uki DAO lawsuit. Lawyers for the CFTC served notice of the lawsuit against the DAO via a website help bot and a forum post. The four amicus briefs say the CFTC wasn't playing fair. 
partly covering this because we've covered it every week for the last two months. I think it has been a really interesting story um, that has gripped uh, the world of DAOs um, because there's a DAO that's getting sued. And not only is the DAO getting sued, but its members are getting sued by this U.S. regulator, the Commodities and Futures Trading Commission. Um, This update is a little bit technical, but I still wanted to share it. There had been an argument from organizations like I think Andreessen Horowitz, A16Z was one of them. They had filed with the court to say, we don't think it's fair that you served these DAO contributors by posting in their message board, their online forum. We think you should have had to like find their contact info, write them a letter, you know, put it in their mailbox like you would with a traditional lawsuit, or at least maybe find their email addresses. And uh, so far, uh, CFTC is pushing back and saying, which I, I think I'm kind of on their side in this one, if I'm being honest. If the DAO's primary method of communication is a web forum, then that's probably how you're going to serve the DAO. You know, I don't know if we can have it both ways saying, well, we want people to be able to just be a member with their wallet address. But at the same time, if you're going to sue them, you've got to like figure out who they really are. Like a uh, disclaimer, I am not a lawyer. Um, and, and like you said, it's a little bit more technical, but um, I, I do think that uh, in terms of like communications and expectations of communications is very important. I think to your point, um, a lot of DAO contributors right now, you know, like they connect their wallet to different projects and they start contributing most likely via Discord or, or Telegram or other um, communication applications. And TLDRs, I think I agree with you in that if that is the primary mode of uh, communications, then I think the expectation is that you would you know, read the communication or read uh, read the the papers that have been served to you. Yeah, I, I I think this is also like in a different context though too. To be fair, right? Like in real life or like in Web two, you could easily find someone's address and and contact information just from the company that they're working for, or even just like if you're a public figure, like you know exactly where to find them. But like in a Web three context, like it is it is somewhat different. But I think as long as you uh, you meet the expectation of like we have a reasonable expectation that you will, you know, read the Discord forum or or, or this Telegram chat. Then I think it's fair to to do that. But again, I I am not a lawyer. Yeah, I feel like I have to go through all my Discord notifications and see if I'm being sued right now. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I was just having yeah. the same thought, and that actually doesn't feel actually like effective to me because there's servers I just do not see. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But but there there is the point though though um, like if if you're being sued chances are you're probably a more involved member of that particular you know like server or, or group right so if that's the case then I think it's fair to say that there's probably a you know a higher expectation that you would check like let's say um, your primary you know projects uh, Discord server compared to like I'm sure we're all part of like literally like a hundred I'm I think I'm part of like a hundred Discord servers and and to your point. Adam Miller, um, I, I don't I don't check all of them, uh, but I do check like one or two like on a very regular basis. Well, here's the crazy thing though about what's happening in this case is the CFTC is suing anyone who ever voted on any proposal in the DAO's history. So it's not necessarily people that are more active. It's it's any it's odd that they didn't just choose all token holders. They only chose mm-hmm. token holders who did vote. And and part of the dissenting opinion from some from one of the 
chairs or, or, or sub chairs of the CFTC was this is arbitrary. I mean, there's no law that says that in a DAO, it's everyone who voted who's held responsible for the DAO's organization. Like the, you, this is regulation through enforcement. You should really we should figure out first, like, who do you hold accountable in a DAO? Is a DAO treated like a general partnership in the eyes of the law? I will say, too, that, you know, I think the one of the key lessons here, and I, I like the lesson because it's what we've been telling people at, at my DAO for the last year since we were founded, is that if you had a legal entity for your DAO, no one would be getting sued by the CFTC as individuals, right? The DAO would be getting sued as an entity. So especially if a DAO is engaging in some risky behavior like financial related services, it might make sense to form a legal entity so that your token holders almost certainly will not get sued. Um, but in the case that you're not going to have a legal entity, this is something that people need to to worry about. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. Yeah, it's also just fundamentally sad and appalling, I think, you know, for these people. But in, in general, like when you're at the cusp of technology and you have gone past, you know, like legal structures or court precedent, you know, it's this, this always happens where, you know, you're just years ahead and then they do things that you didn't even know you broke laws. So I mean, that's what's tough. And that's why, you know, the work you're doing is so important and it's stuff we think about all the time. So, yeah, I hope that, you know, everything works out. Cool. Same here. And by the way, one thing I learned while I was researching this story is I used to say amicus brief when I saw this phrase. It turns out it's amicus brief. So now we can all sound a little bit smarter, especially amongst our lawyer friends. Thank you. Thank you. Next article is from e27.co. The headline is Nine Things You Never Knew About DAOs. Now that DAOs have started creeping into wider company governance conversations, let's look at what you may not know about DAOs. So I like this because I actually give a talk at conferences called What You Don't Know About DAOs. I think it's a fun way to just uh, start a discussion by trying to think of what's the thing that people uh, don't yet know and, and try to share that with them. Um, so I thought I might just pick one or two of these and uh, we can dig into them together. I'll actually start with the first one. And I'd say most people that are like crypto native probably do know this, but a lot of people might not, which is that the largest decentralized exchange in the world is a DAO. So they're talking about Uniswap, which is probably the tool that the most people in crypto are familiar with of any tool that's out there, at least let's say any tool in DeFi, decentralized finance that lets you swap one token for another token. Um, and there is a lot of money that passes through this uh, system, uh, billions of dollars. I don't know if it's a day or a month, but it, a lot of money flows through the system. And, and and Uniswap, I don't actually know if I would agree with the article that Uniswap is a DAO. Uniswap is a protocol that lives on the blockchain. It's an open source protocol that lives on the blockchain, but it is governed by a DAO. And so anyone who holds a Uniswap token gets to vote in the, what happens with that with Uniswap in the future. Are they going to change their fees? Are they going to upgrade the software? Are they going to change something else about how the software operates? Um, so I think that is uh, it is a cool thing to note. And that's the direction that I think most crypto projects are going. I mean, DAOs are not just for crypto projects. I think that's something we, we've started to learn over the past year is that people are starting DAOs to do literally anything you can imagine from saving the rainforest to a high school chess club 
I was just listening to a great podcast the other day where someone uh, from Safe was talking about family DAOs. Like if your family wants to share ownership of an NFT and you do that through a DAO. Um, but but certainly major crypto projects like Uniswap uh, either are DAOs already or, or using DAOs or they're moving in that direction. So anything you guys would want to add or if, if you checked out the article too, feel free to pick a different uh, one of the nine things people don't know if you'd like to highlight that too. I mean, I'm down for a family DAO, but I feel like my sister will be a whale. You know, like I'm, I'm going to have, yeah, I'm going to have no voting power in that one. Um, like what you're saying, like high school chess clubs, I think an important thing for people to think through, and I'm guessing this is like the next generation of DAOs too, is most people say they want to start a company or a nonprofit. You know, it's like, what can you really, what are the impacts you can make in the world? You get into for-profit, nonprofit, government. Like those are the three big avenues. And I feel like DAOs, a lot of people actually want to start DAOs and they want to be involved in DAOs. They might not actually want to do a C-Corp startup where they have to raise VC funds and dedicate the next X years of their life to something. Really what they want in a better solution in a lot of cases is starting a DAO. Right now it is, you know, just like crypto and that's the main central theme for at least how we're talking about it on a global scale. But I think long-term it's, for a lot of applications, it's better to have a DAO than a nonprofit or a for-profit company. And I think that's the thing that I'm super excited about is making that as accessible to people as possible so they can start things and be builders and be creators uh, without having to you know, start a company, start a nonprofit. So this new avenue, I think we'll see a whole new tool set, whole new ways to work together, and we'll see whole, whole new ways to solve problems that we could never have imagined. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, like, uh, it really is just like a decentralized autonomous organization, right? I think that can take like many forms. Like, I mean, even even the the DAOs and the projects that we work with, or even just like we see in uh, the Web3 space, they're configured differently, right? Um, they're configured in such a way that works for the collection of people that are working towards like a particular common goal. Uh, like you said, whether it's like sa saving rainforests, uh, whether tackling climate change problems, whether tackling like diversity issues, like it, it, it can take many forms. Like, but I think the, the key is like it is decentralized. You can make decisions more autonomously. Um, and then to Adam Hayes's point, the, the, the structure, as long as it makes it easy for people to contribute and take part and actually move the needle for whatever project or vision that they have, like for this particular topic, all the better. I think it's just key to have ways to support that, to not be inflexible uh, in terms of supporting it, because I, I don't I don't think there's like a one size fits all. I, I think maybe the, the traditional way of thinking is that like, yeah, like a lot of things will consolidate, the organizations will grow bigger and bigger by sort of like either absorbing other organizations or doing some sort of joint partnership. But I think like the Web3 space and, and DAOs, like there is an opportunity to actually, you know, have many different organizations, um, you know, working on very similar things, right? Because at the core of DAOs, I think is actually the, the people and not so much the organization structure, which supports it. To be honest, like I'm, because I'm fairly new to Web3, I've only been involved in Web3 exactly a year uh, ago from today, uh, where I joined uh, the Wonder Discord server. Um, vibes is actually really important. And I think, uh, every organization has a different vibe or culture or set of expectations on like how to act and like how to make decisions. And, and, and I think like that actually lends itself to not being, uh, or, or not moving towards the path of consolidation. Right. So even if there's like 20 different groups tackling like climate change is it's completely okay because they're probably tackling it in, in different manners. And. 
uh, I think what we've seen is like DAOs or these groups are, are increasingly collaborating with each other. Um, so it, it's, they don't have to be, you know, absorbed into like one gigantic, you know, organization uh, to make to make decisions like they could actually just make it like from like a DAO to DAO or organization to organization perspective. Ken, I'm curious, the DAOs that you see using Wonderverse, your um, project management and collaboration uh, platform for Web3, if that's a fair summary, are they mostly crypto focused projects like they're building something in web3 and they're a DAO or do you also see a lot of what what I'm I'm seeing a lot of which is saving the rainforest or creating a meetup group a real life meetup group right anything you can imagine that's not necessarily uh, a web3 project but they're using the DAO uh, structure yeah, like we're definitely we're definitely seeing that. Um, I think initially, like a lot of the projects that were using us were, you know, more like crypto and like Web three focused. But we're increasingly starting to see people that are uh, tackling like non crypto um, related topics uh, using using our product. Sometimes it's um, it's sort of tangentially related. Uh, but we we've seen organizations where you know like they want to increase the uh, involvement of like you know women building in in tech or like. Uh, increasing like um, diversity in tech, like that's not directly related to crypto, but you know, in, in a way. But the common thread is still like uh, chances are the person who like created the workspace is probably involved in a crypto project. That's actually how they know about us. Um, but I, I, I do see a future where like you know, uh, I mean, technically our, our product is although we support a lot of Web three projects, like there there's there's no reason why like let's say an open source project or or a high school chess club you know can't can't use our product. Makes sense. All right, turning to the next story. This one is from Blockchain Council, and the headline is A Beginner's Guide to Understanding DAO Governance Models. DAOs are a new and evolving way of structuring organizations. These are organizations built on rules codified as computer programs that are usually transparent, managed by the organizational stakeholders, and uninfluenced by any central authority. Different DAO governance models exist, each with its advantages and drawbacks. I think this is a really cool, it's more of a, uh, a you know, a guide or like a, a research piece than just an article. Um, and I definitely recommend people check it out. Uh, the article goes into different types of DAOs, like protocol DAOs, investment DAOs, media DAOs, collector DAOs, and others and then d dives into examples of governance models that are used by specific DAOs like Constitution DAO, ENS, the Ethereum Name Service DAO, Friends with Benefits DAO, and others. Um, I think this is a really cool topic because to me, one of the core things of what DAOs really are doing is they are inventing new forms of governance and new technologies on which to run even the old forms of governance as well. It's really all about governance in some ways. Um, so I'm curious to ask you guys, is there, what, what thoughts do you have on DAO governance models? Do you think that, first of all, that that is core to what makes a DAO a DAO? And what would you advise people in terms of like what governance models might make the most sense or how to think about that? This morning, I believe both Ed and I are members of FWB and it was cool to get an email for voting on Snapshot about you know, their mission, vision, values. It's just like taking democracy to the next level. I mean, usually, you know, like we had voting on Tuesday, but now it's people get to vote and have a say in so many more places. I think this is like a true form of democracy, which is super exciting. 
However, with DAOs, it's super interesting because it's still early in the space, right? So you have so many different types of models and it's like running an experiment. So does this work over here? Does this work over here? People are just testing. And I think there isn't ever going to be a one size fits all, but it's both dependent on what the project's doing and also what, what their resources are, what their long-term vision is. Because for example, like token weighted voting doesn't make sense for everyone. Maybe it should just be, you know, single vote, single person for some projects. In other situations, that does make sense. In some situations, doing like a Spartan council where you're um, uh, nominating members to represent you, so a more representative democracy. But also, I mean, what we're seeing is we are just taking remixing and blending of past things that we've had in system we've, systems we've already known. I think what I'm excited for is now that we have a new technology, let's create new systems and try new stuff. We haven't found a perfect way, and maybe there isn't a perfect form, we need to continue pushing to be innovative on the governance side because really organizing people is a technology and we should constantly be thinking, how can we innovate there? Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, there's a couple ways of thinking about DAOs that I like to, um, that I like to share. One of them is very related to what you just brought up, which is in some ways DAOs are like combining uh, democracy, like governments with companies. And they're kind of somewhere in between, right? Like they're leveraging the governance, the decision-making structure of governments of like cities up through countries and, and international bodies, but for the purpose of doing something that's often more like a company, right? Like a nonprofit, a for-profit or a club even. So I think there is a lot to that. And the other one I like to use that's uh, a little bit different is in some ways, DAOs are like nonprofit corporations which generally speaking are run by a board. It's only a board. There's no owners because it's a nonprofit. There's a board. Board makes all the decisions. Board elects the new board members. Board fires board members, et cetera. So I think DAOs are like nonprofit corporations where everyone is on the board, right? 100,000 people, a million people all on the board, which would just be physically impossible with a traditional nonprofit because you can't count email votes and like sit around a Zoom or a physical boardroom with a million people and have a discussion. But within a, within a DAO, you can't. And whether it's actually for-profit or non-profit, it's kind of like, that's kind of the model where it's like everyone's on the board. Um, and usually boards also, you know, engage in some kind of voting. Um, Ed, anything you'd want to weigh in on in terms of DAO governance? I, I just wanted to add to a point that you mentioned uh, about like DAOs being like a combination or hybrid of like um, governments and, and companies, uh, and, and and also to what Wonderverse Adam has mentioned about like how you know we're we're taking ideas from from the from the past or even from the present, uh, and incorporating into DAOs. I think what's really exciting to me about DAOs is, uh, and and we kind of see this right, um, is that DAOs evolve, and same with their governance, right? Similar to like the real world, if there is. Uh, so, so anybody can, you know, well, not anybody, sorry, but you can uh, make proposals on like changing uh, even like the way that you make decisions or like making a, a, a bill or proposal to say like, you know, we, we now want, you know, uh, ranked ballots instead of, you know, like whatever system you currently have. And, and I think like borrowing that idea, like for, for DAOs is really exciting because it isn't one size fit all because uh, I imagine like a DAO of like five people. Um, the, the governance structure at that point is going to be extremely different from like, let's say two years later, they grow to like uh, a community of 5,000. And I don't think it's like you went from like one model to another. There's probably actually multiple models uh, of, of governance that they slowly evolved into. But the exciting part is that like 
you as a DAO member can actually participate and say like, I don't think that actually makes sense to us. And here's the reason why, and that you actually have a voice to influence, um, the decision-making process of like this, this evolution. So in a way, like it's like, I would feel like this is much more democratic than, yeah, it's a much more democratic way of making decisions, uh, especially, uh, for, for governance. Awesome. All right. Uh, the rest of our stories are actually tweets. So let's turn to the first tweet. This one is from David Phelps, who's at divine underscore economy. And the tweet is, regulation is coming. If you run a DAO where you hold the tokens and use them to make decisions to pay yourself out for actions performed, you might think twice if that's a security. You might want to embrace actual community-led governance that DAOs were made for. Not legal or financial advice, but all I'll say is that the people most excited about what we're building at Joke DAO tend to be lawyers. So there's a lot going on here. I don't think we're going to be able to dive into every issue here, like whether your token is a security, whether you should hold all the votes and pay yourself out, and what actual community-led governance might mean. Um, and then finally, this uh, concept that a joke DAO, which actually a DAO I hear people talk about a lot, it's, it's not just a joke, it's a, it's a way of testing and, and experimenting with DAO governance. It's interesting that the people most excited about it are lawyers. So I'm just curious if, if either of you would like to pick any one of those topics and, and dive into it in a little more detail. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to JokeDAO. Uh, they're one of our partners. And I mean, what they're building is phenomenal. I think that's the use case is perfect for so many people uh, to where they can do voting without having to launch their own you know, native token. So I you know, have talked with lawyers a significant amount uh, about, and this is why I'm like interested to talk with you. So in your experience of what you think the best structures are, because we've heard things about like, Delaware, like non-board, uh, Colorado co-ops, like the stuff Wyoming was doing. I think the time into when people incorporate too is super interesting, or sorry, when they uh, uh, pursue legal structure. Because um, obviously, like you can't really like run a business for too long without, you know, at least becoming an LLC. Uh, so for me, I think something I'm kind of interested from you, Adam Miller, is you know, when do you think it makes sense for DAOs to actually go for legal structure? It's not when it's just five friends, you know, hanging around doing a chess club. Do they need to? Or is it just when, you know, you're actually bringing in money when you only have a token, etc.? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'll share a few factors. Uh, firstly, you, you always want to get to a point where like something real is happening here, right? Like when you when a couple friends are like hanging out over drinks and they're writing on a napkin like, hey, like we should start a company, we should change the world, we should go build this widget. You don't usually go the next morning and form your legal entity, right? It's probably going to be over the course of a couple months that you have some discussions and see if you really want to turn this into a project. Um, once you form the legal entity, the legal entity can have its own assets, right? Like its brand like money, even if you're holding the cash under your bed, like in a box, like if you say that that's the company's money, then it's the company's money. And if, if you run away with it, the other person can sue you. So it's also a way of ensuring that all the people involved, even if it's just two people, all follow um, whatever rules are set out, like can't spend the money without, you know, over 50% of us agreeing to do so. Um, finally, I'd say another key point is it's about risk management. So as soon as there's risk involved, 
um, like you're actually serving customers or signing contracts or building something that could hurt you or paying employees, which involves risks or paying contractors. Any of that stuff um, introduces risk where if you can afford it, you probably want to form a legal entity before you do that stuff so that you're protected from the personal liability, kind of like those Dow members could have been protected from personal liability with the legal entity. The other thing I'll add is that there are different levels of complexity around legal entities. You know, it's pretty easy and pretty inexpensive to form like a Delaware LLC or a Delaware C Corp. Really, any United States based entity is usually pretty inexpensive, like hundreds of dollars, right up to maybe low, low thousands. Um, when you start looking at what people in the U.S. call offshore entities, which are really just entities outside the United States, those get a lot more expensive and sometimes more complex. And so like our, our product costs almost $10,000 to set up one of these DAOs in the Marshall Islands. That means 90, 95% of DAOs, it's not even an option. Um, but once they grow to the point that they've raised money or they have a lot of revenue and they want to think about what's the optimal global structure for this organization that we strongly believe is 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 going to be meaningful in scope and size or revenue or risk or whatever, um, that's where you want to start looking at at you know all the options in the world and putting together the best possible solution. Yeah, exactly. If because a ten thousand dollar investment for a small DAO, that's not the first money you spend, and I think people right. you know like don't be afraid to start at a small scale. No one's going to be coming after you immediately. Like it doesn't make sense. And then also I'm sure as the industry grows too, that price, you know, will be closer to, you know, the hundred dollars in the same way that, you know, now that people are wanting to launch C-Corps, they make it easier for people more accessible. So like long-term, it'll be easier for people to, to launch on with good legal protection too. Yeah. And a lot of it actually comes down to the individuals involved too, because anyone who already is wealthy, right? Anyone who has a lot of financial assets, they will not be involved with any kind of project that doesn't have a legal entity because they're putting themselves at a huge amount of risk, right? Anyone who doesn't have any money or like has like, you know, thousands or maybe tens of thousands of dollars is not usually going to be as concerned taking the risk of being involved with a project because they just don't have as much to lose financially. So that's a big factor too. And by the way, there are solutions that are practically free. I think actually free. If you go to CaliDAO, which I think is at Cali.xyz. Oh no, sorry, Cali.gg. Um, that's a software platform for running, for launching a DAO and running a DAO that you can also create this free series LLC, which is based off of one giant LLC that's not a good long-term solution for any meaningful project, but it's a great solution right out of the gate. If you want to have an entity, the moment you create your DAO, now you have one. And later on, you can transfer to you know, a more expensive, more complex entity. Actually, yeah. Sorry, that's that's a that's a really good point. Yeah, because I always wondered like if it's possible to, um, you know, sim similar to like what we we're talking about, like governance and evolution of that. Like, is it possible to also evolve the way that like your legal entity is structured? Um, I, I imagine like it's it, it, it's probably like a a, a process, but uh, it's possible from from the sounds of it. Yeah, that's a good point. The one thing to think about there is when, generally speaking, when you create an entity whether you used to have an entity or you used to not have an entity, at the moment you create it, you're actually giving it the assets of the organization. 
And so that's either you as individuals giving those assets or that maybe, again, maybe you were keeping cash under your bed, but you didn't have a legal entity. Now you create the entity. That's like you and your co-founders are now giving that money to the entity. Or if you had an entity A and you create entity B, now you have to either give all of those assets from entity A to entity B, or you have to transfer ownership of entity A to entity B, or any any other thing creative thing you can imagine is usually, it's just some kind of taxable event. And so that that's the one thing to look out for if you're going to be you know, creating an entity. That's another reason people should do it early on if they can, so that you don't have to transfer assets between entities later, potentially, again, creating a taxable event. So I love that we're going deep into this stuff because I love this stuff. Um, but uh, I'm going to move us to the next tweet and we'll try to go pretty quickly through these last uh, couple of stories um, or tweets. This tweet actually is about the podcast I brought up earlier. Uh, it's from Humpty Calderon, goes by Humpty. And the tweet is, timely episode with Shore Lucas, co-founder of Safe. We talk about smart contract wallets, how to use them, and the urgency to take ownership over our digital assets. So this was uh, about his episode of Crypto Sapiens, of which Humpty is the host. It's a great podcast, definitely recommend it. He has on one of the founders or leaders of Gnosis Safe, which is now going just by um, the word safe. Uh, and it's a really timely episode because of what's happening with FTX and the once again, like renewed concern that people have and probably always should have had about keeping your money on an exchange rather than keeping it with some kind of self-custody and safe is not just a, uh, a safe for digital assets for organizations. You can actually use it as an individual, right? You can make your Gnosis safe, right? Which is like a smart contract that holds money for you, a two out of three safe where the, the three people who hold the keys, they could all be you. You could be like, one of them is your MetaMask, one of them is your ledger, and one of them is just like a paper backup wallet that you keep in a safety deposit box. And now losing any one of your uh, private keys does not give someone access to your money. And you don't lose access to your money if you lose it. Um, and so I thought that was a pretty cool take that actually saved kind of like uh, Argent wallet is a wallet that's always been built as a multi-sig that's made for people to use as their uh, personal wallet. Um, they also, in the article, again, they do talk about DAOs and the concept of family DAOs or just any other situation. Actually, there's an application that I was thinking about for things like Wonderverse, which is, let's say a family wants to share a Twitter account. There's no way to do it because you're going to use an email address to sign up for your Twitter account and someone's going to have like the ability to take that email address and like change the password and run away with it if they want to. But if a family has a Wonderverse account, if you guys allow for on-chain ownership of the account, um, then and, and every each person in the family has a private key that controls a safe that owns that Wonderverse account, now you truly can have shared ownership of accounts on web services, web three services, et cetera. Um, so I'm curious, actually, I know I've, I've just said a lot of stuff, but does Wonderverse allow for um, you know, people to own their account through a crypto wallet? And how do you think about that? Yeah, so just addressing that point first, I like long-term something I'm super interested in is there's people who own, you know, like, anonymous uh, social media assets. So I almost had a job actually where I would do social media buying. So like, this is a meme page that has 100,000 followers. How much do we value it at, et cetera? Um, like what would a good purchase price be to where we can make money off of it? I think that's stuff like that's a super interesting use case. And what you're talking about, you know, is uh, 
perfect example where you can create a social media conglomerate that owns a bunch of different pages and you can decentralize, essentially uh, manage them. Um, and then, for example, a benefit of being an owner is you could promote your product as an ad on the page once a month or something like that, like it's part of the contract or as the NFT holder. Um, so I'm passionate about that. Right now, we don't do that yet. But long term, I mean, yeah, I think that's a great idea. And then just addressing your uh, original point. Yeah, I was at a Crypto Monday uh, this week. And if you've never been to Crypto Monday and you're listening, just check them out. They're in a ton of cities. Um, they're all over. Uh, and I think what basically was brought up is people, a lot of people didn't understand the difference between a centralized exchange and DeFi, like Uniswap, for example, like for centralized exchange and the metaphor that was used is use them as a bathroom, a public bathroom, get in, get out, like do your business and get out, like don't keep your money on them. And I think, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, this is a failure of crypto. Um, but I feel like that's actually not true because a lot of the philosophies of centralized exchanges aren't fundamental uh, cryptocurrency philosophies. They're, they're black boxes. You don't actually see what's going on. You don't have like a true ledger of actions. So I think this is actually like a strength, strengthening the case for DeFi and it's extremely hurtful. And I think a lot of, there was a, just a lot of misunderstanding, but I think the push, you know, for not keeping money on a centralized exchange is super important. So Huge shout outs to Gnosis Safe. We love Gnosis. And if you ever go from two words to one word in your product, that's how you know you made it. So <laughs> yeah. good for that. And it's also how it gets really confusing because I feel like the word safe is like too general, right? Like now no one else can build something called a safe on crypto or it'll get confused with them. Yeah. Yeah. Like what was it? Party round just went to capital. You know, it's like those name changes. Ooh. It's like, ooh, you're man, right. you're cooking now. That's true. That's true. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point about FTX, too. Obviously, that's like the biggest hot button issue right now for good reason. And I feel like pol some politicians and, and a lot of people outside of crypto see this as a failure of crypto. And in some ways it is of the overall crypto community because exchanges are part of the community. They sponsor our events and our shows and we hang out with them and we listen to them. We talk to them on crypto Twitter. But like FTX is TradFi connected to crypto, right? It's not actually DeFi, right? So like this is just another example of why we need crypto in the first place, because stuff like this happens if you don't put everything on crypto. Is FTX the sponsor of this episode? No. Uh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> what central? Well, it raises really interesting questions too. Like I, I was just listening to uh, Bankless uh, this morning, which is a great podcast that we talk about a lot and a great DAO, Bankless DAO. Um, and they were talking about trusting Coinbase. Like they trust Coinbase. I also trust Coinbase. The people seem really good. They're fully US regulated, which should help. They, uh, they talk about how every dollar is accounted for. They never lend customers money. They have all these things they do to make sure that it never happens. I do trust them, but like two weeks ago, people trusted FTX. And I just don't know how, if and how we can really figure out like which centralized institutions we actually can trust or if we really should just not trust any of them. Yeah, I hope this ages well. If this if this clip is like brought into Twitter like four months from now uh -oh. after Coinbase falls, that's not <laughs> yeah, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble. But yeah, no. uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's I think people just need to be very intentional 
and do a lot of their own research. Where are you comfortable? What are you comfortable with? And then also it's okay to have your money in multiple places too, but like putting your money yeah. with Gnosis is typically also, hopefully that also ages well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <putting> yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, now you're going to start every, you know? every, everything you say, you're going to, you're going to say like, Hey, hopefully this uh, ages well at the bottom of the screen. My- Cash in a cash in a shoebox underneath the bed, like you said. Yeah. That that you can never go yeah, wrong. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I want to share our last tweet of the day, which we won't even uh, talk about because we need to conclude the episode. But it it goes along well with hopefully this age as well. So City Dow says in their tweet, one of Google's early guiding principles was "Don't be evil." Since DAOs are transparent and democratic, they changed the mindset from "Don't be evil" to "Can't be evil." pretty hard to pull the rug when there is accountability and transparency. So I just want to leave the audience to think on their own about, is that really true that DAOs can't be evil? That does it for the Just Dow It News Report this week. Thank you so much, Ed and Adam, for joining me and being a part of this. Uh, please make sure to tune in later in the week for the in-depth interview with Ed and Adam. For now, Please let everyone know where can they find you and your projects on the web and on social. You can check out Wonderverse at wonderverse.xyz or on Twitter. I believe it's Wonderverse underscore XYZ. You can follow me on Twitter if you want to. Adam underscore HA underscore yes, like ha yes. But Ed, it's a much better Twitter follow. What, what's your Twitter at? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter with uh, Jack Alpha underscore XYZ, um, or you can contact me through email. Um, I have a pretty open door policy because uh, work in partnerships. Uh, you can email me at uh, ed at wonderverse.xyz, and uh, I will respond. Hopefully that ages well, too. <laughs> you don't get spammed by everyone. And you can find me on Twitter at 0xThriller. MyDAO is at MyDAODS. That's M-I-D-A-O-D-S or MyDAO.org. And are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it.